0: Hello and welcome to an episode of Crustacean Conversations. I'm Malithi, a student from the Translational and Molecular Medicine program at the University of Ottawa, and I've worked with my classmates Ishika and Julie to bring you this special episode. Come to their aid, the crayfish pet trade. Today, we're talking to our guest, Dr. Zen Folks, an assistant professor at McMaster University, and the well-renowned author of several books, blogs, and papers on a ton of scientific subjects, including neurobiology, carcinology, evolutionary biology, and scientific communication. We're going to be talking to him about one of his many topics of interest, crayfish. Hello, Dr. Folks. Thank you for joining us today.
1: It's a great pleasure to be here.
0: We'll be discussing two papers authored by Dr. Foulkes, which address the issue of crayfish sales in the online pet trade. In 2015, Dr. Folks published a paper identifying marmo crabs, a species of crayfish, to be the most popular crayfish in the North American pet trade. He then wrote a follow-up paper in 2018 discussing the effect, or rather lack of effect, of crayfish prohibition on online pet sales. So without further ado, let's get straight to the questions. So, you've written several papers about the online crayfish pet trade discussing both the popularity of different species sold and the impact of regulation. What inspired you to pursue this topic of research?
1: It was an outgrowth of my interest in marbled crayfish, which you mentioned earlier, also known as marmor crabs. I wanted to work with those animals in my lab for various reasons. They were just sort of biologically interesting. I was already working with crayfish, and I thought they would be very convenient. But around that time, it just became very obvious that they were being sold as pets for the aquarium trade. I mean, that was where they were first discovered and there was no known natural population. And to this day, that is still true. There is no known natural population of marbled crayfish. They were discovered in the pet trade. And the only place where they exist in the wild is where they have been released by people. When you have that kind of situation, it was just so obvious that there were so many potential issues around that. So where are they being sold? What are the risks and just how common and abundant are they in the pet trade? Can you go into a pet store and buy them? Can you get them online? These questions just sort of became extremely obvious things to ask. And just because I had a little bit of knowledge of their biology and I waste a lot of time on the internet. So this was something that allowed me to take wasting time on the internet and actually turn it into a research project.
0: You mentioned in your paper that crayfish are a keystone species. Can you remind everyone what a keystone species is and why crayfish specifically are important and can be valued very highly?
1: An analogy that I'll use here is architecture. You know that when people renovate houses, they can quite often like knock out an entire wall. Except there are some walls that are called load-bearing walls. And if you knock those out, you have caused big problems and the entire house could collapse. Keystone species are kind of like load-bearing walls. They're doing an amazing amount of work to keep things the way they are. But the same thing also happens if you bring in a new keystone species, everything changes. So when you put in crayfish, they sort of sit right in the middle of the food chain. The joke is crayfish eat everything and everything eats crayfish. So if you put in crayfish into the system, they will eat a lot of different things kind of at the base of the food chain that takes up a lot of energy and food that is normally available for other species. And that can have all of these kinds of knock-on effects. On the other hand, there are other things that will preferentially eat crayfish. And so those explode because now you've got a lot more crayfish. So that gives you, I hope, a bit of an example of what a keystone species is. They really have disproportionately big effects on the places where they are present or where they're absent.
0: That was a good analogy. So it's known that marble crabs specifically, marble crayfish, are able to reproduce parthenogenetically, Mm -hmm. meaning a single crayfish can produce offspring on its own. Does this ability relate to how much of an impact they can have on environments as an invasive species compared to other sexually reproducing species?
1: I think the major issue with being able to reproduce asexually and clone themselves is that it only takes one. One marbled crayfish, you have a problem. They all have the ability to clone themselves. They all are, are fertile. They can all produce dozens to hundreds of eggs. They can reproduce four, five, six, seven times in their life. And when you just sort of do that math of every single one has the ability to establish a population, It becomes so much easier for them to establish. Now, once they do become established, there's another issue, which is that their numbers can increase more rapidly than a sexually reproducing species that's otherwise pretty similar. Because again, every single individual is reproductive.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You had explained in your papers how species identification was often wrong in ADS. And that it might be hard for the general public to be able to correctly identify them. Mm-hmm. Uh, how it's hard
1: for me, never mind the general public. And I study these things. You know, there's 600 different kinds of crayfish, and some of them look very, very similar.
0: How big of a problem do you think it is if crayfish are wrongly identified and sold around?
1: It depends on. In a lot of cases, you know. One of the things that we're talking about here is the fact that certain species are banned in some provinces and states and jurisdictions. They don't just ban all crayfish. They go on a case by case basis, right? They go on, we ban this species, but not this one and this one and not this one. That becomes an issue just sort of at an individual level. If somebody is selling crayfish and they get, it wrong, they may be in violation of the law. But then, of course, you have the bigger issue of if you have something which turns out to be really a potential pest species, and people are thinking that it's some other species that is not a pest species, you have the, the kind of risk of escape if they do get out.
0: Globally, is the pet trade in crayfish more of an issue in certain parts of the world versus others? And if so, why do you think that is?
1: Oh, yeah. Europe is a horror show. It turns out that the North American crayfish, there is a disease that they carry that they don't really suffer from. And when you go into Europe, the North American species carry this pathogen which is an obscure little organism called a water mold, with them. The European species, 100% mortality. It's called crayfish plague for good reason. So, when the North American species got introduced, the European species, almost every single one is under extreme threat and is endangered now, primarily because of crayfish plague. But also, when you bring in the North American species, a lot of them are very good competitors. And so, you have the double whammy you've got disease. And they're direct competitors in terms of aggression, hiding spaces, food, all of those sorts of things.
0: You mentioned the crayfish plague and other issues. Mm -hmm. Why do you think some countries or provinces
1: allow crayfish trade, knowing the consequences? Because people eat them. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is that, again, the pet trade is this... Is very unregulated. It's just so hard to regulate the, the numbers of fish and all of these these kinds of things. So you know, I think for a lot of lawmakers, it's is this really worth my time to try to regulate the sale of this thing? But it really has been the case that there's been you know money to be made, and once there's that kind of incentive, regulating it is is tricky, you know because. People like making money.
0: You discussed in your work the challenge of finding legislation on crayfish trade.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, did you face any other challenges with these projects?
1: Well, there's, there's always challenges. Honestly, like one issue is that a lot of these listings go away. And so you really have to be on top of this on a day-to-day basis to track what is going on. As I said, sometimes things will crop up that you suddenly have to try to respond to. You see an opportunity there. So for example, uh, the province of Ontario banned a couple of species of crayfish this year at the start of January. I thought, oh, okay, there's an opportunity for me here to see, does that ban actually make a difference?
0: Where do you see your research going in the future? And what would you say your next steps are?
1: Well, the Ontario story I am tracking right now to see if there's any change in the number of advertisements for the banned crayfish. We can really hopefully track, does this law actually make it and does it actually change the behavior of people? And I've also got some other papers following up on similar kinds of things where some provinces put in new laws since the last time that I, I wrote about this. And I've got some work that is trying to do that same kind of comparison. Do we see changes before and after the law was passed?
0: While reading your work, we noticed you mentioned the multi-pronged approach. Yeah. Could you elaborate on this approach?
1: Well, sure. I've seen a few big changes in people's behavior that I can think of that are really pretty prominent during my lifetime. Now, admittedly, I'm old, but I want to just ask you, if you go into a building, you know, your university campus or a restaurant or something like that, do you expect to see anyone smoking a cigarette?
0: Nope. Go (laughs) onto a plane? No, DCX,
1: anyone smoking a cigarette? People used to smoke everywhere. That stopped. And how did that change come about? It wasn't just by putting up a few signs on buildings, right? There was enforcement of it too, right? They could, you know, give people tickets. They could give people penalties for that. There was also public information campaigns about if more people are choosing not to smoke, there are dangers to secondhand smoke people understood that there was a rationale, there was a reason why smoking was no longer allowed in all of these different kinds of spaces, right? So it wasn't just one thing. You had to do all of those things together and you made what is honestly a dramatic public change, change in in people's behavior. Now, in in the case of the crayfish trade, there have been a few of these laws in some states for several years. It was only this year that one person has been prosecuted for selling marbled crayfish. So, and the, the law was in place for, there's been some laws for like, I think almost 10 years, but like multiple years, right? So it's not as though this has been a quick response. And again, so you also need that information component. People have to understand why they can't or shouldn't buy particular kinds of of animals.
0: And finally, is there anything that listeners can do to help improve the crayfish trade problem? For example, uh, any initiatives
1: we could join? I am a big fan of just encouraging people to be responsible pet owners. It's the same, you know, philosophy as you pick up after your dog. If you have an aquarium, you don't dump the fish into the river or the lake or whatever, because this is one of the major causes of these unwanted introductions. That's one of the things that I want is if I could just get to people sort of on that individual level, Because if these pets stay inside their tanks, honestly, we're good. There would be no need for regulation and bans and enforcement and all of these kinds of things, except that they do escape and people are not responsible. So it is really weird because it is such an easily solvable problem. People just have to do the right thing. We would not have these invasive species problems, at least not for, for crayfish, because crayfish aren't going from North America to Europe on their own. They're just not.
0: Okay, thank you so much. So as we've learned today, the crayfish pet trade proves to be a poorly regulated and complex process, riddled with missteps that dangerously introduce non-Indigenous species and may even encourage irresponsible pet trading. Thank you so much, Dr. Fulks, for taking the time with us to talk about this exciting area of scientific research.
1: Thank you for your patience.
0: This has been an episode of Crustacean Conversations, and thank you to everyone for listening.